podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You may have noticed during the Super Bowl, a commercial for Pella was on with me in it. Really cool to, to see on TV. Uh, you, you see it? I'm in the showroom. I'm with the Pella experts during installation. It was just, uh, it was so cool. It was the really the first class experience I got the whole time working with Pella and uh, checking out their showrooms in Lincoln and Omaha. Uh, it was it was uh, really, really well done. You can, you can find that commercial, by the way, on their Instagram page if you want to go uh, check it out. Uh, but make sure you check out the showrooms in Lincoln and Omaha or check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Shoot360 Lincoln, membership-based basketball training facility. It's a national franchise. I was actually just at the owner's conference in Oakland, California at the Golden State Warriors practice facility. It was uh, an incredible couple of days. It's just an amazing team to be a part of, and there's some really cool stuff coming to Shoot360 Lincoln soon. Uh, but we've been open for a couple of months, our, and and the reaction has been amazing. You talk to our members, the parents of, of our or, or members that the are the kids in there that they're they just rave about it and it just fills my heart, man. I mean, it's a uh, it's a really cool thing that we're building. Uh, Thirty minutes in the shooting bays, you can get up to three or four hundred shots on our patented technology. You can schedule your free one hour workout. Right, just come in, test it out, free one hour workout by going to shoot 360com backslash Lincoln or give us a call at five three one five zero 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 five eight eight. That's five three one five zero zero. 0588. All right, I am taping this. It is Sunday, February 18th. Uh, we're heavy hoops as it is really heating up for Creighton and Nebraska. Both are obviously in the NSA tournament conversation, so that will dominate the conversation on today's pod. I will say I do have a pod scheduled with one Bo Robert Rude coming up in the next day or so where we are going to really talk a lot of Husker football. So be looking out for that on the pod feed. It's been a while since we've talked some Husker football. Certainly a lot's happened there, so want to do a tease that as well. But hoops is going to dominate this pod and this conversation. So let's get into it. A big chunk of this pod is going to be about Baylor Shireman. But before I get into that, just want to real quick hit on Creighton and Nebraska and the latest in what's going on. Creighton coming off a big win over the weekend at Butler, 79-57. to That second half, that was one of the most complete halves on both ends of the floor Creighton has played all year. They were excellent. Outscored Butler 45-22 to in the second half, and... Just dominated. Total domination for the final 20 minutes. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting things with Creighton right now. It's weird. Like, they're what? I think they're 10-3 and three in their last 13 games. So they're, they're really playing well, but they're only 3-2 and two in their last five games. But I really like how they're playing right now. Their only two losses in the last five games are in overtime at Providence, a game that I thought Creighton had, uh, and then at home to Butler, ninety nine to ninety eight in a in a game where Butler just went nuclear and played incredible offensively, but those are the only two losses. So for me, just like taking the temperature of a team and how they're progressing, is the arrow trending up? Is it trending down? Is it is, is are they just doing okay? Like I feel like the arrow's trending up, and I feel really good about Creighton right now. And a lot of that has to do with the offensive side of the ball. For, for large portions of this season, Creighton had to be kind of like a defensive-led team that won grinder games. Well, right now, all of a sudden, that offense is starting to click. And that has to do with a lot to, of, of 
Stephen Ashworth has made a big leap offensively shooting the ball. Last six games, Ashworth is 22 or 49 from three, 44%. He's now been in double figures for 10 straight games. It feels like he's starting to catch his stride. Uh, Shireman's gone to a totally different level. Again, I'm going to get into that more in a bit. But overall, Creighton's just gone to a different level offensively. The, the Chew on these numbers. First seven games for Creighton in conference play, Creighton averaged 68 points per game. In the last eight games of conference play, Creighton has averaged 87 points per game. I mean, wow. That's quite a leap. 68 points per game, first seven games of conference play. Last eight, 87 points per game. Last eight games, Creighton has scored 90-plus three times. They've scored 85-plus five times. Their low, Creighton's lowest point total they've scored last eight games is 78 points. And the, 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 the metrics are starting to really like what Creighton's doing offensively. Creighton is now back inside Ken Palm's top 25 offensive efficiency rankings. Again, taping this on, on Sunday, February 18th. They're sitting at 19th in the country in Ken Palm's offensive efficiency ranking nationally. I just I feel good about where Creighton's at and how they're playing. Now, that doesn't mean that they're just going to rip through these last five or six conference games. They got UConn coming to town this week. I mean, you saw what UConn did to Marquette this week. I mean, holy shit. Mar- UConn is is humming right now. But I'm just simply saying that I like where Creighton's at. Kalkbrenner, Trey Alexander, Baylor Shireman, Stephen Ashworth, I feel like you all those guys are playing well right now. Like if you if you just look at each of them, like all of them are playing good. And Creighton's offense has taken a massive leap in the past, you know, month or so. That top 16 seeds reveal came out from the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee and, and Creighton wasn't a top four seed. But, man, I think they're right there. I think if Creighton keeps it rolling here, finishes the season strong, I think they could get a top four seed. I mean, the numbers are still good. Net ranking, 13. Ken Palm, 13th. Creighton's got five quad one wins. Creighton has 10 quad one and two wins. That's tied for the fourth most in the country. Creighton has been good on the road. Like, the numbers like them, the predictive metrics. Uh, like, I just the, – there's a – the resume is is – is pretty solid. So I just like where things are trending for Creighton right now, but got to keep it rolling as there's a lot of tough games coming down the pike here, down the stretch to, to wrap up the regular season. Let's switch to Nebraska because I was on the call on BTN for Nebraska and Penn State this weekend, and Nebraska took care of business. This was a game as I was diving into prep watching Penn State film, I was a little worried about this game for Nebraska because Penn State stylistically could, I think, was built to maybe give Nebraska some problems with how they, they led the Big Ten in turnovers forced. You know, they averaged 19 points per game off turnovers in their wins. Like, Nebraska had been turnover prone a little bit at times. Like, I thought there was a world where, like, oh, man, this game might get a little slippery. But Nebraska, especially in the second half, they were locked in and they took care of business. And that was good to see. But as you can tell, you can just sense amongst, you know, social media, the Nebraska basketball world, the people that I know that are really into this Husker Hoops run that they're on here. Like, life on the bubble is stressful. I mean, you look at every single bracketology prediction that comes out, they're right on that 10 line, that 11 line. Like, they are hanging on. And so it's stressful, especially – when the reality is, when you look at the rest of Nebraska's schedule, 
man, it's there's not really any game that can really help their resume. But losing a, some of these games could really hurt them. But at the same time, all these teams have shown flashes and are capable of beating Nebraska. I mean, so this week, Nebraska got to go to Indiana. A very talented team, and Assembly Hall, very tough place to play. And oh, by the way, if you haven't noticed, Nebraska struggled on the road. Nebraska then has to play Minnesota at home. Minnesota has been playing much better lately. They were leading Purdue in Mackey last week. Then they got to go to Ohio State, where you thought, okay, they just fired Chris Holtman. Ohio State's going to throw in the towel. Well, not so fast. Ohio State beat Purdue today in Columbus. So who knows with that team? Rutgers comes to Lincoln then. This is a surging team that is obviously elite defensively, and they've won four in a row as I'm taping this. And then they close out the season at Michigan, a game that I'll be on the call on uh, in, on BTN. And Michigan, I'm not sure if people pay attention to this stuff enough. Michigan's a totally different team at home because they have their best player playing at home and Doug McDaniel. It's totally bizarre thing going on where Doug McDaniel is suspended and and but only for the road games. So Doug McDaniel, their point guard, plays in the home games but doesn't play in the road can't play in the road games. Doesn't travel with the team. So that Michigan team you saw come to town that Nebraska absolutely obliterated and played awesome. That was one of the best that might have been the best. That first half was one of the best that and maybe like Oregon State in Sioux Falls early in November or whatever it was. Uh, th- those might have been that, that was some of the best basketball Nebraska's played in the first half against Michigan. But that's a totally different Michigan team. That's going to be a totally different team that they play at the end of the year. So I, I I lay that out for like there are reasons all those games are tough, and unfortunately none of them none of those teams have great metrics right now that'll really help Nebraska's resume a whole lot. But losing them could hurt Nebraska's resume. So this is going to be a really stressful last few weeks. Nebraska has played great the past two home games. And, you know, you assume they'll continue to be excellent at Pinnacle Bank Arena. 15-1 and at home this year, undefeated in Big Ten play. But if you're Nebraska, and we've talked about this, you got to go win a game or two on the road. You got to do anything you can. Selection Sunday, about, what, three or four weeks from now? You got to do all you can to make that resume look as appealing as possible from now until Selection Sunday. I mean, you have a great win over the number one overall seed, according to the bracket reveal from the committee over the weekend in beating Purdue. But you're 0-7 on the road in conference play. And you haven't really looked very competitive in a lot of those games. And that whole picture that that it, it combines for the committee, like, yes, there's tangible things that they're looking at, but there's also the human element in there of things that you're looking at objectively, but then there's the, sub- the subjectivity of it where you're combining those intangible and tangible elements from the committee on how they're judging a team. And the committee can obviously tangibly see the issues on the road and looking at a road record, and that is what it is. But on top of losing on the road, the subjective, intangible element at play here, too, is that Nebraska hasn't, they haven't really passed the eye test on the road outside of, they look really good at Illinois. That was, a, I mean, you turn on that tape and tell me that's not a damn good team. 
even though they lost. But, you know, at Iowa, at Maryland, at Northwestern, at Wisconsin, those games were, weren't even really competitive for large stretches. So there is the eye test is involved in this thing, too. I mean, you watch Nebraska at home, and, oh, baby, they passed the eye test big time. But on the road, it's a bit more of a struggle. So you just want to see them get all that cleaned up. I think Nebraska is an NCAA tournament team. I definitely do. But the committee has to feel confident in putting them in the tournament that they're going to go perform. And you got to give the committee some confidence by going and performing on the road in these final few games. It's just it's a stressful situation for Nebraska in these final few weeks where it's like the last few weeks are basically a giant game of Jenga where you just don't want to screw it up. Net ranking still isn't great, sitting at 53 as we're taping it today. Now, that is in large part due to the non-conference strength of schedule. Looking at, the, according to Ken Palm, Nebraska's non-conference strength of schedule was 350th in the country. So, I know, I think there's a lot of people who are like, what, how is Nebraska not? It's the non-conference strength of schedule, guys. Nebraska didn't play anybody in the non-conference. So that, along with some poor performances on the road, that has been the, the problem. But again, I think Nebraska is a tournament team. But, man, that doesn't mean, life on the bubble is stressful and tough. And Nebraska, I think right now, obviously, is on the right side of that bubble. I like this team. I, I think they're a tournament team. But they still got some work to do. They took care of business against Penn State. Was really good to see. Now they got to go on the road, try and get that elusive first road conference win at Indiana this week. Okay, so I I said I wanted to talk about Baylor Shireman. So you, you never want to get too premature on these types of topics or just throw them around loosely. And even though I've I've mentioned it a few times, I think it's time as I'm watching that Butler game unfold and watching Baylor Shireman just plate his ass off, it just it's time to start to have a real conversation about Baylor Shireman and the Big East Player of the Year. It's time. To me, you ask me, okay, who are the four candidates? If I had to pick four, top four, Biggie's Player of the Year candidates on my ballot that I'm I would say I'm under consideration with with these four. It would be Baylor Shireman, Devin Carter from Providence, Tristan Newton from UConn, and then of course Tyler Kolick from Marquette. You you know you could throw a Kadari Richmond in there. He missed a few games, but to me those four are the four, and all of them have a legit argument for being the top guy. If you're Tristan Newton, you can sit there and just say, "Listen, guys, UConn's the best team in the country." We're kicking everybody's ass. We're dominating this league. We might win the league by like four or five games. And I'm the 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 catalyst to it. And it's like, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's a good argument. Tyler Kolick, he's the reigning Big East player of the year. And what's amazing is he's having a statistically better year than he did last year. All his numbers are up. Points per game. 12 points last year, 15 points per game this year. Rebounds, three last year, four this year. Assists are basically the same. Field goal percentage, up. Three-point percentage, up. Free throw percentage, up. Up, up, up. And even though Marquette just got smashed at UConn, Marquette is still winning at a high clip. They had won, they've won eight of their last nine games. They were number a two seed in the latest bracket reveal. 
So Kolick's got an argument. Devin Carter has been a monster this year. He's been absolutely incredible. He's continued to carry Providence after Bryce Hopkins went down. I'm not going to lie. When Hopkins went down, I was like, Providence is done. I, they're, they're just, they don't, they're not going to have enough. And it, it, Carter has just put his cape on and been Superman. His consistency, his scoring, his clutch play, he leads the Big East in scoring, been a force all year. I asked one Big East coach, I said, who would be your player of the year? They looked at me and were like, Devin Carter, easy. And I was like, okay, well. So all three of those guys have a very worthy argument to be named Big East player of the year. And obviously, with with three weeks three weeks left in the regular season, a lot can certainly still unfold down the stretch here. There's a lot of basketball left. Guys could surge. Guys could fall off and struggle. Teams could surge and and go on a winning streak. Teams could also lose and fall way back. So a lot can happen that impacts the picture of this thing. But to me, in the last week or two. In particular, the last week, the conversation, the picture, the lens, all of it around Baylor Shireman has changed. He's been on a roll. Here's Shireman's last five games. 27 points, 10 rebounds in a win at Butler. Had a triple-double, 15, 11, and 11 in a win over Georgetown. 16 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists at Xavier in a win. Two assists shy of another triple-double. 27 points, 12 rebounds, and an overtime loss at Providence. 26 points, 11 rebounds, and that crazy close loss to Butler. I mean, last five games, 22 points per game, 11 rebounds per game, five assists per game, shooting 53% from the field. Kicking everybody's ass. He's had a great season. And he's, he's seemingly taken it to another level the last five games. When, when you look at, like, the statistical argument for Baylor Shireman in being the biggest player of the year is a strong one. Like, you, you – so overall this season, Baylor Shireman, he's averaging 18.7 points per game, 8.7 rebounds per game, and four assists per game. He's third in the conference in scoring, averaging 18.7 points per game. Carter leads the biggest in scoring, averaging 19.2. He's second in the conference in rebounding. Only Joel Soriano averages more and barely more at 9.3. He's 10th in assists, averaging four assists per game. He's ahead of Devin Carter in assists, but behind Kolick and Newton. He's first in, in the Big East in three-point field goals made total. He's made 79. Quincy Oliveri's made 77. He's second in the Big East in minutes. Uh, the only person ahead of him is Trey Alexander. He leads the Big East in double-doubles. He's got 12. He's scored 20 or more 12 times this year. He just had that triple-double, the first in school history for a conventional points, rebounds, and assists triple-double. Him and Tristan Newton have had a triple-double this year, but Kolick and Carter have not. Again, he scored 20 20 or more 12 times this year. Carter only has nine games of 20 or more. And then there's also been that that stat of Baylor Shimon's the first player in NCAA history to score 2,000 points, have grab a thousand rebounds, hand out five hundred assists, and over three hundred threes. I mean, when you start doing things like first player ever, now I know that's a career thing, but it's just just trying to put it all into perspective. So I, statistically, Baylor Shireman is nails. 
Again, number two in scoring in the Big East. Number one in total three-point field goals made. Number two in rebounds. Number one leads the Big East in double-doubles. Tenth in assists. Number two in minutes. He's been incredible. For me, personally, as I've covered the Big East all year, there have been two guys that have rose above the rest of of the conference this season in the, in the Big East. And to me, it's Baylor Shireman and Devin Carter. Those two guys have been game in and game out the best players in the Big East so far. So for my ballot right now on February 18th, understanding that there's still big games down the stretch and a lot can change, I'd have those two guys, and then like I said, I'd have Kolick and Newton just behind them. For for Newton, I think I think UConn is more about the totality of the of the Husky machine than than like him. You know, it's hard to compare like him to like what Devin Carter has to do at Providence. Like it's Devin Carter's got to do everything. That's not really how Newton is to to UConn. He certainly is the guy that makes it go. But and I may be unfairly punishing him by how balanced and well rounded that entire team is. But so, but for me, he just hasn't felt like he's been fully at the same dominant level that Shireman and Carter have been. Now, some of that is because he doesn't have to, because his team's just beating the tar out of everybody. And then with with Tyler Kolick, he's probably in that world where he's like, he becomes like a victim of his own greatness, where you just get like used to it. Like we saw him dominate last year, so we're a little we're we, we're a little used to it. And even though, like I pointed out, his numbers are all up from last year, I don't think Marquette's near as dominant as they were a year ago as a team. So so for me, I'd, I'd have those two guys slightly behind Carter and Shireman. And listen, I, I can't I can't really – it's like hard for me to even just for the sake of this segment to make a case against Carter. I just like – I can't like, – like hurts my basketball soul to do it. That dude is such a badass. He has been incredible. Someone asked me the other day, like, the best players I've seen in person this year. So, for in terms of games I've called, headset, sitting courtside, calling the game, the four best players I've seen this year are Devin Carter, Baylor Shireman, Kevin McCullough Jr., and Isaiah Stevens of Colorado State. Those are the four guys to me that have all – Jaden Ledee was really good at, at, at San Jose State. Uh, certainly Hunter Dickinson's amazing. Um, but to me, those four guys, been those have been the four best guys. And then Tenero to the Big East, the like it's Carter and, and Shireman. Now, what could be interesting in this Big East player of the year race is the only potential difference, what could be the deciding factor for some people, between Shireman and Carter. And for the sake of argument, let's just act like those are the two that you're choosing from. The 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 differentiate the 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 way those two could be separated could end up being the the final record and where they finish in the standings from a team standpoint. Right now, taping this Sunday, February 18th, Creighton is in third place at 10 and 5. Providence is in fifth place at 8 and 7. And depending on how things progress down the stretch for both teams, the final standings could be the deciding factor. I am one of those people that believes to the victor go the spoils, meaning I think 
to win things like the Heisman Trophy or the NBA MVP or the, the you know the the National Player of the Year in college basketball or in this case the Conference Player of the Year in college basketball. Winning matters. I mean, can the NFL MVP really be on a team that like gets in on a wild card and loses? Or can can the NBA MVP be from a team that that makes the play-in game? They were you know tenth in the West and then they lose in the play. Like, can the Heisman Trophy winner be a player whose team went seven and five and they play in the Frosted Flakes Bowl against Ball State? And so the question will be: Can Shireman or Devin Carter win Player of the Year on a team that doesn't finish first, second, or third? Because I, 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 out of curiosity, I did a little quick deep dive on 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 this. I, let's do a deep dive on who won Big East Player of the Year and where their team finished in the standings since the new Big East was formed. So this is going back. T- there's been 10 Player of the Years since the new Big East was formed. In 2014, the Player of the Year was Doug McDermott. Creighton finished second. In 2015, Ryan Archidiacono and Chris Dunn split the award. Villanova finished first. Providence finished fourth. In 2016, Chris Dunn of Providence won it. Providence finished tied for fourth. In 2017, Josh Hart was the player of the year. Nova finished first. In 2018, Jalen Brunson was the conference player of the year. Nova finished second. In 2019, Marcus Howard was the Big East Player of the Year. Marquette finished second. In 2020, Miles Powell was the Big East Player of the Year. Seton Hall finished tied for first. In 2021, Colin Gillespie, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and Sandru Mamokalashvili all split the Big East Player of the Year. Nova finished first. So Colin Gillespie and Jeremiah Robinson Earl were on the team that won the league. And then Seton Hall finished fourth. In 2022, Colin Gillespie won the biggest player of the year. Villanova finished second. And then last year, 2023, Tyler Kolick was the biggest player of the year. Marquette finished first. So what does that tell us? The last 10 years, the biggest player of the year has only been awarded to a player who finished worse, whose team finished worse then second place in the final standings three times. 2015, Chris Dunn, Providence finished fourth. 2016, Chris Dunn, Providence finished fourth. And 2021, Mamo Kalashvili, Seton Hall finished fourth. So there have been 13 player of the years who have won Biggie's player of the year. 13 players have won Biggie's player of the year in the last 10 seasons. Of those 13 players, six were on the first place team and four were on the second place team. So to tie it all the way back to Devin Carter and Baylor Shireman in the Big East Player of the Year race, I think the final standings could loom large in maybe who gets the award, assuming all these players continue to play well individually. I mean, can Providence finish fifth and Devin Carter still get Player of the Year? Could Providence slide to sixth and Devin Carter still get Player of the Year? I mean, that, that, that hasn't happened in 10 years, at least in the, the data that we're looking at. And listen, the same thing can be said for, for Creighton. Can Shireman be biggest player of the year if Creighton falters down the stretch and they finish fifth, fourth? 
mean, both teams got tough. Devin Carter and Providence down the stretch. They got to go. They got to go at Xavier, at Marquette. They got Nova at home, and then they play UConn at home to end the the regular season. Those are some tough games. I mean, that could be four losses right there. Creighton, UConn, and Marquette come to Omaha. Seton Hall comes to Omaha, and then Creighton has to play at St. John's and at Villanova. Some tough ass games. So how the standings look right now could be dramatically different in three weeks. I mean, when, when you look at who Creighton has down the stretch, I mean, Creighton could play good down the stretch and go two and three, three and two. Same thing with Providence. Carter could play awesome. Providence could lose four games. So who knows how the standings will look? I just know for me, as of today, the two best players in the Big East Conference, to me, have been Devin Carter and Baylor Shireman. If the season ended today and I had to cast my vote, I would vote for Baylor Shireman. And the deciding factor would be overall record and where where they're at in the standings. I mean, there is a world where Providence finishes fifth or sixth and doesn't make the NCAA tournament. And even though this is a regular season Big East award, man, that would be pretty unprecedented to give a a Power Conference Player of the Year award to a team that doesn't even make the tournament. So there's just there's a lot that can happen as we head towards the finish line of the regular season. I think right now, though, Shireman is my biggest player of the year with Carter right behind him at number two. We'll see how these final few weeks play out. But I'm just watching over the course of the last week, 10 days or so, two weeks, and really watching as that Butler game is unfolding and Shireman's hitting threes and blowing kisses to Draymond Green and the crowd. at, at the like As I'm sitting, I'm like, we got to start to have a real conversation about this guy and being the biggest player of the year. He, we got to start like not just like nonchalantly, casually throwing it out there. Like, no, we need to have a real conversation about it. To expand on Shireman for a little bit, it is it is remarkable to watch him right now and just see how much he's improved from last year. And I mean, Baylor Shireman was a hell of a player last year, and I think he's taken a big step forward. This year. Let me real quick. Sometimes this stuff's fun. And this is where I'm glad that I write out almost all my solo pods. Because then I can like pull stuff back and see like what I wrote or what I thought. Let me read. I'm going to read you what I wrote about Baylor Shireman in the preseason. So in my Creighton season preview podcast. So this would have been in October. I wrote this about Baylor Shireman. I wrote, so it's always good when your eyes match what the coach says. The other day watching practice, I thought, damn, Baylor Shireman looks freaking fantastic. And after practice, I asked Greg McDermott, who's the most improved player? He said, probably Baylor. And that confirmed what my eyes told me. He just looked a little different to me. He looked really, really comfortable. I think Baylor Shireman knows exactly who he is, where he's at in his career, what he can do. He knows this system. He knows Coach Mack. He's just in a really good place mentally from my vantage point. That's not to say he wasn't last year, but last year was challenging. He had to fit into a group that had already forged their roles and chemistry and all that. He had to learn a brand new system. He had to get used to, he had to, get used to the jump from the Summit League to the Big East. 
He had to get used to a whole different role, not having the ball in his hands the whole game like he did at South Dakota State. And he had to do it all under the pressure that came with being a preseason top 10 team that had final four aspirations. That's not easy to do. This year, this situation, he doesn't have to deal with a lot of that. I thought the fact that he didn't go through the NBA draft process again and just said, nope, I'm coming back to Creighton. And he announced that early on. I liked that decision from him. That was a window into his mental state. He'd gone through that process. He's got work to do at Creighton. He wants to be a Blue Jay for another year. He's staying. And then I watched him play last year. And even though he had a good year, I felt like there was more there. I feel like he has another gear he can get to. I think he's a much better shooter than he showed last year. Shot at 36% from three. Keep in mind, he shot 47% from three the year before at South Dakota State. And shot 44% three years ago. So I think he's around a 40% guy. I think he shows that this year. And I said this all last year. Baylor Shireman has the kind of game that elevates his teammates. When he plays well, the team plays well. Some players aren't like that. They're kind of operating in silo. And their success doesn't necessarily elevate others. But Baylor Shireman is a guy that when he plays well, it usually means he's passing the ball great. It usually means he's igniting the crowd. The crowd really reacts to him, and he reacts to the crowd. All that fuels his teammates. He's got that magnetic pull to him. And when he's up, usually his team is too. So I'm a fan of Baylor, and I think he's poised for a big year. His defensive rebounding was great last year. He averaged eight rebounds a game. And I think he elevates his efficiency and shooting. And with more shooting on the floor around him, I think it'll unlock his game even more. So Baylor Shireman is someone I'm excited to watch this year. I wrote that in October before the season in my preview pod. I thought he had another level to go up. I think he looked like he was the most improved player. And so far, all of that has proven to be true. And of course, this falls right in line with something that is so impressive about Greg McDermott and how his programs operate. The player development for Coach McDermott at Creighton has been amazing. Think about Ryan Kalkbrenner as a freshman and think about him now. Think about Trey Alexander as a freshman. Think about him now. Think about Baylor Shireman at South Dakota State and even last year at Creighton and think about him now. Baylor Shireman has taken a big leap this year, and that just falls in line with what typically happens when players come to Omaha and play for Greg McDermott. I mean, I could list 10 to 15 players that all improved dramatically at Creighton under Greg McDermott. Yeah, Christian Bishop, Martin Crumple, Damian Jefferson, Tyson Alexander, Marcus Zagorowski, Denzel Mahoney, Kyrie Thomas, Justin Patton, Alex O'Connell, Ryan Kalkbrenner, Trey Alexander, and of course, Baylor Shireman. All those players, plus probably a dozen more, all got better and better each year at Creighton. Player development doesn't just happen. A year older doesn't always mean a year better. There are a lot of things I could write down that, that make Greg McDermott a great coach. I mean, I could go on and on about player talent evaluation. Uh, he's got an amazing eye for assistant coaching talent. If you haven't noticed, Greg McDermott's coaching tree, holy crap. Darren DeVries, Steve Lutz, Al Huss at High Point. 
He's got a great eye for assistant coaching talent and developing assistant coaches. He's got a great offensive mind, incredible offensive mind, the way he connects with his players. I think he's an underrated defensive coach. You've seen that the last couple of years. I think he's a very, very good game plan coach. I think he's good at watching film, looking at a team, figuring out where where their weaknesses lie, and trying to devise a plan that forces a team to play to their weakness. And, of course, Greg McDermott, really good at player development. He knows how to get the most out of his players. And Baylor Shireman is the latest example of that. And in a lot of ways, this team is a great example of that as well. All right, that'll do it. My thanks to Pella Windows and Doors and to Shoot360 Lincoln. Appreciate everybody. We'll catch you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. A Herd at Sports Network production.